All right. It is still Gentleness Month. It's Lightning Martini Month still. <laughs> if you were here last time, you know, I was just joking. We had a bit of a learning experience in our um, marketing scheme here. All of these designs are one of a kind. There's only one of these t-shirts in existence, and that is the international symbol of fragile when you're dealing with things in boxes, but uh, obviously lots of people here don't deal with washing machines that often because they don't recognize this. But anyhow, we are in gentleness month, and what we're doing is we're taking a number of months, a series of months, and we're just looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Here's the big idea. Excuse me. Um, When Jesus came 2,000 years ago, he died for human sin, and he did something that had never happened before. He came back from the dead into a permanent life. So he changed existence. He changed history. He's still alive. He's 2,000 years old. Um, And he poured out his spirit. So he went back up to heaven, which is why you can't see him. It's part of the plan. And when he went up to heaven, he sent God's Holy Spirit to the earth in a powerful way to change people from the inside out, to start the life of heaven in our hearts now so that we get a taste of what heaven's going to be like. We have the life of God inside of us. And at one point in a scripture, the Apostle Paul is trying to contrast what normal life is like without God's life in your heart versus what life can be like for followers of Jesus who have the Holy Spirit and kind of what life must be like if we're going to be the kind of people God has always wanted us to be. And so I'll read this from scriptures. You've got part of the passage here. I'll just read it, just a reminder. The Apostle Paul writes this. This is Galatians 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And the flesh means like just... Just the material life, life in the body, life without the spirit inside you. It's obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, he says to the church, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, here's our passage, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. And if you've been here, I've been saying that uh, the Greek word for gentleness is praoutes, which may be not how you're supposed to pronounce it. I think I've told you before that I finished my Greek degree, and then a few years later I found out that all the scholars were saying, well, we think we've been teaching everybody wrong how to pronounce Greek words for the last 200 years. And they haven't decided if they're going to fix it yet, so whatever. Just so you know, um, this might get tweaked. Prautes, the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance, gentleness, humility, courtesy, considerateness, meekness. This is what we're talking about. So sometimes I'll talk about humility, and sometimes I'll talk about gentleness, but it's the same word, prautes. And if you can think about it, they're, they're kind of two sides of the same coin. 
Uh, when you have a humble heart, you're well prepared to treat other people with gentleness. Uh, when you have a proud heart, you don't mind letting everybody know right away how they're failing you or getting in your way. Because the scum deserve it. True? All right. So this is number three. This will probably be my last one. And I'm going to try to talk about more practical stuff today. And I'm probably going to get some help from Jackie for part of it later on. But I want to go through a portion of Colossians and just see how the call to humility, radical looking to Jesus, and treating the people you live with well all go together. And I want to tackle it from the perspective of all of us just admitting that sometimes we're the problem. And so the message today is called, A Done Messed Up. Because sometimes you done messed up. Right? So, newsflash, sometimes as Christians we can think, that uh, our expectations can be everything's going to be pretty nice all the time. Everything's going to be pretty comfortable. Everything's going to be pretty happy. I'm surrounded by believers. So everyone's going to treat me right. And then before 10 o'clock in the morning, it's gone sideways. And then you're reacting and you're responding. And they're thinking, well, I'm just reacting and responding to you. And then everybody gets a good dosage of uh, humble pie. And all of us need to admit, I done messed up. And I want to try to tackle it through this proverb. I really like this proverb. I think this is a proverb for people who have really deep-sixed something in a relationship. You've done that thing again. You told everybody you're not, you weren't going to do. You, you ate, drank, smoked, or snorted, or looked at, or didn't look at that thing you said you would never do again. You said those words you promised you would never say again. You done messed up. And I think this proverb is for... The what do you do the next morning moment. And Solomon says, Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. And through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. Now, why do I think this is a relational thing? Like, if you know the doctrines of the faith, if you've been through Sunday school long enough, if you've read the Belgic Confession or the whatever, how is sin actually atoned for? Like, with God. Dramatic pause, waiting for the extroverts to kick in or the people who get frustrated by uh, silences. How, according to our faith, is sin atoned for? Jesus' death on the cross, bonus marks. Somebody needs to wash Val's car after the service. Yeah, our sin is actually forgiven by sacrifice. Our sin is forgiven by somebody else having to get in the way between what we deserve because of the evil we've done and getting grace or getting forgiveness. But And Solomon knows that. Um, he, he led the biggest sacrifice operation that had ever happened in the history of Israel. So he understands that people don't earn their salvation. So what's he doing when he talks about this? He's talking about that thing that happens when you or I sin against somebody we live with and trust gets hurt. 
trust gets wrecked. And someone you can say, would you forgive me? And they'll say, yeah, I forgive you. I don't want to be near you and I don't want to trust you because it still really hurts. And Solomon is trying to, I think, talk to us about the morning after attitude. Hey, there are consequences to what you did. If you want to see things actually restored, it's going to be through your love and through your faithfulness that your iniquity is atoned for, where people can say, Yes, thank you. You said I was wrong and you've asked for forgiveness. Now maybe let's see a little fruit towards your repentance. Anybody want to see fruit sometimes? It's like I forgive you and now show where's the beef? Yeah, that's human nature. And through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. So it's going to be through really going hard after God that you don't do this again. That's how I understand this, okay? So this is my lens. When it's the morning after, when you're done messed up, when people are hurt around you, and you want to be forgiven, and you want to be quick, and you want it to go back to normal right away, and one of the painful parts of confessing a sin is not having people all, like, celebrating it really quick, and people still being hurt, and people still saying, like, yeah, but what are you doing to change? That can trigger your pride, and then you can get hurt feelings again, and then, then you're doing that thing that you said you weren't going to do. And Solomon is just looking at the human heart through the practicalities of fallen sinful man, and he's doing some expectations management, and he says, Hey, if you really want things to go back to how they were and better, it's going to be through your love and your faithfulness. And if you really don't want to find yourself here again, it's going to be through the fear of the Lord. Is that somewhat clear? Okay, everybody feel tender already? Everybody feel like, oh golly, how how much deeper is this going to go? Yeah, I'm with you. You guys know that the preachers have the... the, Whenever you preach messages like this, all of heaven's little red dots go all over you. Don't pull the trigger, you know. And that's okay. Me first, Lord, why not? So let's back this up again, and we're going to read through a chunk of the book of Colossians. And we're going to just be looking for fruits of the Spirit. We're going to be looking for a call to have the fear of the Lord. And we're going to be looking for uh, ways that the Bible gives us to show love and faithfulness to people as a way of like building up um, Trust and relationship through humble gentleness. So, welcome to my safari bus. We're all going to get in our Jurassic Park Jeeps, and we're going to tour the park. Now, what's the worst that could happen? As long as nobody stops to look at a big Tyrannosaurus heap, um, we should all not get eaten while we're hiding in the bathroom. Very obscure movie reference. Please forgive me if that went over your head. (laughs) So I've broken this into three sections. And again, the big picture is this call to humility. And the big picture is looking how to actually do things that build up trust through gentle humility and can be restorative in the body when bad things have happened and you've done messed up. And so section number one. The Apostle Paul, writing through the Holy Spirit, says this. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, 
holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, that's gentleness, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So this passage I'm mostly highlighting, kind of this, this parallel that we're, we're in a passage that's trying to get the fruit of the Spirit into us. Can anybody call out a few fruits of the Spirit you see in this passage? This is an interactive one. You know, the sun's gone down, it's cloudy, we're mopey, we're all starting six months of sads, you know, seasonal affect disorder is coming. So I'm going to help you out by producing anxiety in your heart and a fear of getting called out in public. Yeah, like, why don't you come out here, come to the stage, you, you, come to the stage, you, 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 you. I'm, I'm just generally waving so you all get to feel nervous. <laughs> but don't you feel a little bit more alive right now? <sighs> Totally manipulative. Patience. Thank you. Okay, everybody, standing O. Let's do for Joey. Standing O. Okay, that's great, church. You got the O. Didn't see no standing. Okay, Joey got was the first one. Standing O, church. Come on, standing O. There we go. Come on, thank you. The power's absolutely gone to my head. I'm sure there's going to be an emergency elders meeting Monday morning. Okay, so there's patience there. There's humility there. Kindness is there. Love is there. Okay, so we're just making the point that you can't take Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, and just box it up in that book. Paul is thinking the same thing here. I'm trying to get you to live the life of the resurrected Jesus now, and this is how you do it. Patience, love, meekness, compassionate hearts, peace in Christ. And if the highlight is the Spirit in other passages, the highlight here is that it's in Jesus or um, the fruit of being one of God the Father's chosen ones. So it's very Trinitarian. Have I made my point? Okay, next thing. Look at the fear of the Lord call here. Look at the obsession with Jesus that Paul calls the church to. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So when I look at that proverb and I see the fear of the Lord is how you get away from evil. This is what I see Paul calling him us to here. Get hyper-obsessed with Jesus. To live this life, you need to be hyper-obsessed with Jesus. It's not a weekend trip like to Jurassic Park. You're going to get eat. 
It's not, a, it's not just a part-time thing. This isn't an evening course. This isn't like a weekend excursion. This is all in, all the time, all your heart richly soaked and pickled in the Lord. Stewed. So that all your hard meat and your grisly tendons break down over the 36 hours of slow-smoked goodness. So that when someone experiences that really tough briskety bit, it doesn't feel like something that can stop a bullet, but delicious barbecue. Yeah, I lost a couple people here. (laughs) Maybe I'll just say this. Uh, Brothers and sisters, when we've done it again, our soul is letting us know that it's time to go hard for Jesus. The fruit of our life is saying, you aren't where you thought you were. It's really time now to go into the word of Christ and have it really dwelling in you richly. It's probably time to put on some more worship music and this time sing along. It's probably time to stop focusing on everything that's going wrong and get that thankfulness rocking in your soul towards your Father who loves you. It's probably time to decide that this life is not about what we can get out of it anymore, but really is all about, in word and deed, everything being for Jesus. Because when the flesh is coming out of my heart, it is revealing that Jesus isn't coming out of my heart. Does that make sense? It is through the fear of the Lord, this life where... Little Jesus becomes bigger than everything Jesus, as he truly is, is how a big part of how things actually change. Can I tell you something I'm struggling with? Okay, thank you, sir. Um, like talking about a message like this now would be an appropriate time to tell like a humbling story and uh sometimes the kids don't love it hearing humbling stories about dad every weekend do you know what i mean do you appreciate that they don't always love it feeling like they're on display and under the microscope and all this stuff and so i actually don't have like a bad story about me today um And it's not because they're not there. I just don't think it's going to be this weekend. For the kids' sake. Is that all right? Yeah. So I'm just bypassing. Like I know homiletics, 101, tell a humbling story. They're there. And if you want to get together with me, I'll buy you a coffee. And I can tell you all my junk. But do you know what the reality is? Probably half of us came to church with a story from the last 24 hours that you could think about right now 
where you could go, that probably wasn't a response based on trying to glorify Jesus. True? And you're loved, and you're here, and I love you, and I'm for you, and I know it's just hyper-discouraging, and you want to quit, but what happens when you quit? Like, what's, what, what gets better when you quit? Did anybody here quit before? Yeah, did it get better? No, you regret it. So hardcore, bad, bad, bad. Can we put up the hands again? Yeah, I've tried quitting on Jesus before. It is hell. It is hell. It is just hell. So don't give in to the discouragement. The call is to go, there's more of Jesus. And then often what can happen, here's a good story. Can I tell one little story? I won't tell what happened. Um, I had lunch with Andrew Mick this week. Great, great friend. And one of the pivotal changes in my life was I was struggling with something, and I went out for lunch with him, and it was in McDonald's, like three generations of McDonald's ago. You know how it changes every two years? It was like back, I think, when they still had the fireplace. And uh, I told him about something, and he looked at me. And it was like this mix of compassion And I also thought, like, how many times are we going to talk about this, Rob? And I checked with him later, and that absolutely wasn't what he was thinking, but that's what I saw. And so I went home, and I'm like, I never want to see that face again. I never want to have to see Andrew look on me with compassion again. (laughs) Not that he wouldn't, but I was just done. And so I was working a swing shift, and I was just like, Hun, every time I come home from work, I'm just going to go pray in tongues for half an hour before I go to bed. Like minimum. Because everybody else is asleep and I can do it quietly. And something changed. I think when you get a taste of how like when you seek the Lord, things change, that changes your life. If you've never sought the Lord and seen something change, you don't know Jesus how he is yet. And then discouragement becomes very normal. Because you think whatever's happening is all that's going to happen. But you got it. You, like, sometimes you have bad seasons so that you can seek the Lord and see the hand of God move in your life. So that's all I'm trying to say there. But now, you know, I've done, I, here's some arm waving. So I've checked, checked that box for the morning is done. And I've talked about the fruit of the spirit of gentleness. And I've talked about, um, the fear of the Lord helping us turn away from evil. But then Paul goes to like basic home relationships to apply this stuff. And there is a reason. Um, I think in the mind of God, often... The solution to the biggest problems is a child. The birth of a child. When Israel was under its 400 years of slavery and it was time for God to do something, how did it start? It started with a country saying, if you have sons, we will kill them. And a man and a woman choosing to have a son. Well, as much as they get to choose that. 
um, the birth of a prophet Samuel, the birth of Samson, though that was went sideways somewhat. Um, Hannah, yeah, seeking a child. Um, Jesus being born. When God wants to do big things, he usually starts with the small, ignored, taken-for-granted places. And when God wanted to take over the Roman Empire, uh, he didn't lead his people in mobs. He didn't tell them to take up swords or blow up aqueducts or kill governors. He said, this is how you apply the humility of Jesus to your home. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And I know there's some words in there we don't really love as a culture. So I just, you know, totally changed scripture. Just kidding. I'm just rejigging it a little bit to make a point. What if we read it like this? Wives, be humble towards your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, be humble towards your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, be humble towards your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not be proud, which is the opposite of humility, towards your children, lest they become discouraged. Does it land a little clearer when I do that? What God is talking about when he gives these instructions to family members? God knows that any one of us can wreck anything with our, with our sin. The story of human history is just the, the story of human beings wrecking God's good things over and over and over thing. And I think that even when Paul is working on this list of applying humility through the fear of the Lord to a family, he's actually also thinking about another time where everything began going wrong. When the fall happened in the Garden of Eden, Eden, excuse me, and God shows up and he begins to describe the consequences of the rebellion of man and woman against God. And he says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing and in pain you shall bring forth children, which some people think has to do with the delivery stage, which I think it does. But also it's only a chapter or two later when Eve's sons are killing each other, which is also pain in childbearing. And it describes your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you, which we tend to call the battle of the sexes. And in the Garden of Eden, what was lost was like with the unwillingness to live in the fear of the Lord and to respect God's word and to believe that God's word is where life comes from. And they lost the tree of life, which is symbolically the presence of Jesus in the Holy Spirit. And the consequences were the breakdown of the family. And so when God is undoing the works of the devil, and he's undoing the consequences of human sin, it has to land here, and it has to happen with humility being a major flavor of what happens. Because pride was what killed everything. 
Pride is what destroyed everything. Pride is what turned the people in our lives to our enemies and, and people to be used and fought with and conquered and overcome or hidden from and manipulated. That's like losing God and losing God's word is what caused that. And so for things to actually be healed, that needs to be t- turned upside down and humility needs to become the flavor of the home. And out of that humility becomes, comes gentleness. Sisters, you're wonderful. And uh, you're often way smarter than your dudes in some ways. And guys, I hope you uh, find a wife who you can be in awe of, of who she is, and her capabilities, and her wisdom, and her goodness, and her faith with Jesus. Um, Things can get dicey when you feel vulnerable. I'm reading a book right now called The End of Woman, How We Smashed the Patriarchy and Destroyed Ourselves. And it's a Catholic mother with a PhD in philosophy trying to process what's happened in the world when you can have a prime minister become the first G8 feminist and then a few years later be celebrating a man beating women in powerlifting as a, as a woman. Like how did this happen? And just reading her book, I'm just in it, Her view is that so much of the conflict between men and women is the problem of vulnerability. That God decided to make women vulnerable in many ways. Not always as strong. And when it comes to child rearing, you carry the weight of it and you carry the birth of it. And you often carry the children heavier in your hearts for the rest of your life. And it's not hard for... Um, a husband to really hurt you and mess that stuff up. And that doesn't even include all like cultural legality stuff. So I think she's right that a lot of the fight can come from the problem of feeling vulnerable, feeling unlistened to or unwanted or uncared for or unprotected. And it can really make you want to take control of things, can't it? Which is a good reminder for the, for the guys and why it says don't be harsh with them. It isn't hard to hurt vulnerable people or in the name of toughness to stop listening or in the name of strength to be breaking things. It's just, it's actually normal. And so the word of God says, that's not the way in the spirit. It's not unusual for children to get to an age where they're like, hey, wait a second. My parents can be really weird. (laughs) And to find ways to allow a culture of dishonor to come out of your heart 
And it's really easy as parents, it says fathers here, but that word can mean fathers and mothers, to actually just be provoking children by expecting too much of them, to be graceless, to be ungentle. Maybe at this moment I'll invite Jackie to come up and just share what's on her heart for the day. Hey, everybody. So just to start, I want to say that I'm not up here because I was born gentle. (laughs) I wasn't born gentle and meek and mild. I was born feisty and stubborn and uh, selfish with a good side plate of loving control. And those things don't equal gentleness. And so I'm up here because I've had a journey with the Lord in learning to be gentle. And I specifically want to talk to women and to moms, especially young moms who are in the the fire right now. (laughs) It's the hardest season of your life probably, right? And um, future moms, because you don't actually know what's all going to come out of your heart yet when you have kids and you're sleep deprived. It is shocking to us, I think, when our kids are born at who, what's all in there. And it can be an elephant in the room because We live in a culture where it's not safe to tell each other if we're struggling with gentleness. And we feel very ashamed and very alone. And we don't know who to tell because we don't know where it's going to go or what's going to happen. And I, my heart breaks for the isolation that the moms feel because of it. And so I want to just break that off by speaking about gentleness this morning. And Jesus, I just ask that you would take what's on my heart and... Make it more than words. We just pray that you would take these ideas and cause them to bear fruit somehow. So as much as Rob is theological, I am practical. And uh, I told him I had three points, but it kind of grew to seven. (laughs) (laughs) So we had a little fight in the prayer room. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, he wanted me to talk fast, but I don't know if I will because I don't want to stress anyone out by <laughs> talking hyper fast. Um, the most important thing I want to say today is that the link between gentleness and a deep trust in Jesus is the most important thing. First Peter 3, um, women probably all know this one, where it says, Don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And many of us read that and go, yeah, but how? Right? How? I don't feel gentle and I definitely don't feel quiet. <laughs> I feel like a nag <laughs> or whatever. And said, goes on to say, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And this is the important part. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. There's so many things that actually scare us. We don't even realize they're scaring us. But we often wake up into a day where we don't know if we have enough. 
and we're terrified <laughs> and we start off with fear and not with uh we don't wake up and go oh, i trust you jesus that you're going to give me everything i need today we don't intrinsically do that but it's the trust in jesus that produces the gentle and quiet spirit and it's something that we need to fight for proverbs 31 says strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come how many of us wake up and laugh at the day to come or laugh at tomorrow when we know that there's things that are coming but it says that if you're that woman who laughs because you're trusting Jesus, the next verse says she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. And so that deep trust in Jesus not only gives you joy because you're not worried, but then also you have this ability to, to teach gently because you're not stressed out to the max already. And so a little for instance is um, I'll probably I'm going to give a little example for each one. But this is my longest point, don't worry. Um, Timmy is usually my example because I thought I did okay as a mom until Timmy came along. And special needs parenting is a whole nother deal. It is just a whole nother. It opened up just a whole nother section of my heart that I didn't even know existed and is the death of me in the best possible way. So Timmy has sleep apnea and it's mild, but he doesn't always sleep very well. Often he doesn't. And often he's quite quiet about it and he'll sort of just like rock in his bed and then fall back asleep but sometimes he decides to have a party in the middle of the night and boy has that kid the kid who never talked has found his voice and he can he like yells out his favorite song it doesn't sound nice it's just like yelling happy yelling in his bed he is not at all upset to be awake he likes it and he wants to let himself know that he's awesome and he just <laughs> is loud and so not long ago he was up in the middle of the night and he woke me up because he was loudly proclaiming something and my instinct I woke up it's 2 30 it's a school night and I don't know if he's going to go back to sleep and my the whole the, like the, immediately I'm like and this is going to happen and this and this and I'm going to be tired and he's going to be tired and behavior and boom, boom, boom. <laughs> and I don't know can anyone relate to that <laughs> and and I felt this like anger rising up in me because it's like this is out of my control and immediately and this is from long seasons of practicing with the Lord I felt like he just came and he was like um he's like just trust me Jackie just trust me like, I have everything you need for tomorrow. And this settledness came over me. And I crawled into bed with Timmy. And I had the best snuggle ever getting him back to sleep. It took an hour and a half. <laughs> and But he fell back asleep, so he had enough juice for the next day. But I, it was just one of those turning moments where it was like trust produced gentleness. Number two, the freedom of self-control over controlling others. If we are more interested, and it's often subconscious, if we're more interested in controlling the people around us, gentleness will be very elusive. If we want, expect that child and that person and this person to do what we want, um, we're going to get frustrated very easily. But if we wake up into a day where we're like, today the goal is self-control, um, there's so much freedom there. I remember when we first adopted Timmy and I was like trying to control his behavior and he's like a little crazy person and I left the house to do an errand and I was so frustrated and I was like Lord I'm so frustrated and I felt like he said how about you just work on self-control Jackie there's so much freedom there you can do that anytime and it never goes wrong like it's just something you can do every day could I control Timmy no I couldn't but could I control myself yes I could by the power of the Holy Spirit and so another way of putting that Later on, I felt like the Lord said, how about you work on response-based parenting instead of results-based parenting? 
where at, your goal is at the end of the day to have a little chat with Jesus and see if you made him smile by how you responded. Not, it worked. He's behaving now. It's, it worked. I responded in love. And Jesus, did that make you smile? And it changes things. And so I just encourage us, if control is a thing, wake up into your day and ask Jesus, what do you want me to know? And what do you want me to do today? And then do that. Control yourself. I remember once I asked the Lord, Timmy was in a tough season. I said, what do you want me to do today? And immediately I felt like the Holy Spirit said, when all else fails, tickle him. And I was like, what? Oh, no. <laughs> That's annoying. I don't want to do that. And it totally got Timmy out of this grump season where every time he just started to turn into that little schnurpsy derps, we call it, <laughs> I would just tickle him and it would just reset the whole day. And so let's magnify the worth of responding well in our hearts. And let's magnify our desire to make Jesus smile. Number three, don't add to your own suffering. A mentor of mine uses this phrase, and I just love it. This is a really short point. You can be tired and mad, or you could just be tired. Which one is better? (laughs) Just tired, right? You could be hungry and mad, also known as hangry. It's a real thing. Or you could just be hungry. Don't add to your suffering. You could be late and mad, or you could just be late. And I got a chance to practice this this Friday. Gloria was in the car. I was going to be late for work. There's no school. I'm driving into my mom's house. And there was such slow traffic in front of me. And I was like, Gloria, Jesus is giving me an opportunity to practice gentleness. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I don't like being late. But being just late is a lot better than being late and mad. His grace is sufficient. Yeah, number four, treat hard behaviors as anxious behaviors. And a lot of the time you won't be wrong. Even in your like spouses and the people around you, there's so much anxiety in our culture and in our kids and so much bad behavior. Even me is when I'm scared or anxious. That's when I react badly. And so um, an example of this is if Timmy quietly nobody will notice if he's choking on his water let's say he'll do this weird thing where he grabs his cup and drinks more and if you try to take it away he looks like the most stubborn strong child in the world like he's got like superhuman strength and you cannot get that cup away and it's because he's terrified but the first few times i didn't know that it just looked like bad behavior but it's like no he's terrified and so often our kids are scared And they need either a really gentle boundary and to know what to expect, or they need compassion and someone to hear them out and to understand. And so then I just, just try and experiment with me. The next time someone's behaving badly in your life, just ask them, what are you scared about right now? And see what comes out. Number five, foster curiosity over judgment. We're so quick to judge motives. We think we know why everyone's doing everything. And, um... And we usually don't. Rob gave me permission to use him as an example for this one. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, Rob goes on his phone when I think he should be helping me with something. Sometimes. And I notice in me, I'm really quick to judge why. Oh, doesn't love me. Clearly, doesn't love me clearly. (laughs) And I noticed that myself. I got really tired of it that I was doing that. And so I started just asking him, 
hey, what you doing? Do you know how often he's doing something awesome on his phone? He's like banking for us and taking care of our finances. Like, I love it that he does that. I hate finances. Like, I'd way rather he be on his phone taking care of our finances than anything. Like, that's so good that he's doing that. Or he's messaging somebody who's having a hard day. Awesome. Do it. But I was judging his motives, and I was really wrong. And then I wasn't gentle. And so being curious when somebody's acting weird in your life, instead of just deciding, it really, really helps the gentleness thing and it's fun actually to be curious it's not usually fun when we're judgy i was wrong i only have six points are you happy (laughs) lastly i just want to say there's so much power in repentance please please don't minimize the power of repentance our kids know when we've sinned against them they know when we've been too harsh even if they deserved it deserved it um and I remember once a friend of mine said that as a young adult, her mom came to her and apologized for the times that she had blown it. And my friend told her mom, I don't remember you blowing it. I just remember you apologizing. Yeah. And so please remember that our kids really do know when we've repented from the heart to them. They're very quick to forgive. And we're changing the generations when we respond in humility. We're giving them tools so that they can do the same thing. And there's so much freedom there. And so I just want to encourage you, especially the young moms who are feeling this, please ask Jesus who you can talk to. Please don't fight it alone. And um, and I think we can all be in each other's corners. That's what the body is for. And, uh, yeah. I'm going to need to get you to write down when I give you permission to do stuff because I always forget. It's scary. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, sweetie. Uh, Hard-earned wisdom. So thank you. All right. So why don't we just wrap it up together? Jesus Christ has died for our sins. He's died so that we can be transformed. He sent the Holy Spirit into the world and into our lives so that however it's been doesn't need to be how it's going to be. So often the way to get there is the way we don't want to go, which is choosing openness, humility, uh, saying yes to sometimes painful processes. God is faithful. He loves us. And he loves you. His love for us doesn't go down, up and down with how we feel about ourselves, whether we're proud of ourselves or ashamed of ourselves. It doesn't go up and down. He's a committed, good father, and he sees your entire lifespan of good works he wants to do in and through you. So let's say yes to the Holy Spirit of God, and let's surrender to him today. I'll invite the band to come up, and I'll just lead us in a prayer. And you can stand or sit. Father God, your promise to your people, who you love, is that you, though you oppose the proud, you do give grace to the humble. And Lord, I want that grace for us. Father, would you help us to become so sensitive to and aware of and ready to say yes to the humility and the gentleness that we're called to in Jesus trusting you with the results. Lord, would you help us to each submit to the situation we're in, 
Stop struggling and stop fighting and stop lashing out, but just surrender to God in the situation. And let you work for those who can't work for themselves. Lord, I do pray a blessing on the moms. Each one of these relationships between mother and child, a place where eternity is happening. And I just ask for heaven to invade that with the kingdom of God's will. In Jesus' name. And I do pray, Lord, you'd help each one of us to keep walking the path of the Spirit. So that nothing you want to do here is lost. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said.